Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 309. What time is it? Recorded November 5th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, the congested one, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, are you two, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenator Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy, Mark, and welcome back to the fine folks listening on the Element Open Network this here weekend. Well, we, we, we're all culturally significant in our accent, so I'll just say, g'day. Word, yo. <laughs> I'm having allergy issues, uh, so if I sound like I'm not on my game, uh, that's why. Uh, I got my Barry White voice going, baby. Um, so I, I'm sure that at some point I will be judiciously using the mute button to cough, um, but I'm here. I gave up on you recently when I had allergy issues, but I decided this time... I was going to power through, but it's probably going to be about a 17-minute show. Uh, You're a trooper, Mark. Thanks. Thanks. I feel fine other than my just the whole upper respiratory thing. I I don't... I'm getting better. Yeah. I don't want to go into it uh, because it's personal family stuff, but I've had a hellacious week this week, and I literally fell asleep on the couch um, a half an hour ago, and my wife woke me up. Um unintentionally she just made enough noise that it woke me up and i was like you know i really just need to call and cancel the show i just need to email the guys and say i just i can't do it and then i thought but you know this is like one of my favorite things to do every week i i I love doing this so much i would feel worse if i didn't do it than if i did so i'm here i'm powering through but i'm mentally and physically and spiritually exhausted um and my voice sounds like I've been swallowing razor blades. Other than that, I'm fine. How are you guys? I'm doing pretty good. Um, actually, yeah, pretty good. That's a good thing. I don't know. I'm frustrated with banks. <laughs> but other than that, I'm great. Well, maybe you just ought to chuck the, the whole bank situation and, and throw all your money into Bitcoin. I hear that's going somewhere. Oh. Yeah, you know, I would, but... I still have my credit card bills to pay, and um, man, I tell you what, if you end up in another country and you're trying to deal with credit cards, I called all of my banks before I left, and I said, you know, between these dates, I'm not going to be around, I'm going to be in this country, and they're all like, oh, thank you for telling us, we'll note this on your account. Yeah, great. And so now I go to pay a few bills online, and all their websites shut me down because I'm not in the country. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) You know, I can charge, but I can't pay. <laughs> because your IP address is Australian now and you're using American accounts, they shut you down. So it's VPN yeah. time. You own data centers, Miles. You should be able to do that. <laughs> I know. But, you know, I so I put a VPN, uh, Just I used a commercial one just to, as a test because I wanted to route all my traffic to another country so I could tell them, actually, look, as far as you're concerned, I'm in America. Right? right. So here we go, VPN to a US uh, location. And they came back and said, we don't trust the IP that you're coming in from. <laughs> <laughs> so, really? Okay. <laughs> anyway, I did actually, after a lot of struggling, end up paying the bills, which was amazing. But uh, what do you do? My primary accounts are with Bank of America uh, because I enjoy being crapped on at, a regular, uh, on, at regular intervals. Um, but recently they sent me 
was it an email? Anyway, I got some sort of thing that said, uh, link your GPS in your phone with your credit card for when you're traveling. So any, as long as your, your phone says you're near where your, your credit card is, we won't, we won't call a, a, uh, uh, a fraud thing and i thought well that's both a clever idea and scary as crap um yeah so i, I trust said no. them to do that right <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean if it was never screwed me before if it was a company i trusted um to handle that well i would say what a great idea sign me up but because it's bank of america i said uh no thank you um I'm, i don't want you tracking me so you're saying if google had a credit card you would have no problem saying, sure, Google, I will link that. And here's a blood sample to go to the blood bank on the phone just for further proof that it's me. Well, Google would have to oh, establish a track record in banking. Uh, I trust Google to do one thing. I don't trust them to do all things. Well, if okay. Amazon had a credit card, they'd want to knock you, knock on your door, enter your house, find your wallet, take your money and pay the credit card. And charge you a fee for it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It said, said, we'll let you access your money whenever we feel like it. (laughs) Thanks for shopping with Amazon. I kind of like the Amazon doorbell thing. We didn't talk about it. Um, it, It's been a news story for a while. I'm sure you, the listener, have heard about it. Uh, But basically, you buy um, a camera for inside your house and a smart door lock, um, and you give Amazon access to unlock your door uh, and be on camera and put your packages inside. Now, if I lived in an area where I couldn't trust my neighbors, I would say that's a fine idea. Uh, and I would, I would pay for that. It's, I don't know, it's X amount of money, but then they give you, um, like, uh, credits or whatever. So it, it ends up being free. Uh, at least that's the sales pitch I saw. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea for, you know, heavily, um, densely populated urban areas where you don't know your neighbors but you know in my suburban area not only do i know my neighbors but they know me and they're going to be watching out for me i trust that um and so it's just not a thing that i would do but i'm not afraid of it i don't think it's a bad idea it just doesn't work for me yeah not gonna happen in my house nah i got trained watchdogs i'm gonna set on them (laughs) i mean you know if i were building a house maybe i would build like a little room or something like you know a a box or something and then do that because that would be cool that you could get into from the outside but not the inside kind of thing so that way it could secure it but not let them have access to my house a new new construction something like that might be cool like a nice vestibule in your home but that still doesn't protect it because anybody who wanted to steal your packages could walk into that same unsecure area no because they have to have the key or you know the amazon thing to get in oh, but that only lets them in one room of the house and then there would be another secure door behind that that they would not have access to so they could get in that first door that first room but no further and then so when i came in i could get through that first room and then open the second door into my house yeah if i were ever building yeah. a house i would have the dual the dual entry where there's a door and then 10 feet and then the door just so that my kids would have no choice but to not leave the doors open um that's <laughs> think, that's the reason stores no do that no one's asking the amazon drivers what they think imagine delivering packages to jeffrey Dahmer's house <laughs> come on in <laughs> <laughs> or or you know the the i i could see that being 
misused in such a way as somebody is actually at home and they don't answer the doorbell and then the Amazon driver comes in and then they accuse them of something, which is probably why the camera is there is to protect Amazon as well. Right. Anyway, I I just, we can't go too far uh, in under uh, the uniform uh, code of podcast uh, conduct act. Uh, I must complain about uh, time changes uh, within the first uh, 16 minutes of the podcast. Uh, Time changes suck. Um, Screw you, Ben Franklin. Okay, um, now we're we're done with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Look, I'm on tomorrow. I'm in tomorrow at eleven in the morning, so I don't know what you guys are on about. It seems fine here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's dark now, so uh, it, that's the thing. I the thing I don't like about the time change is that you know if you if you work a regular job now it's dark when you get up and dark when you get right. home so it's like you spend your entire day inside and it's just like ah this is poo poo yeah, the only light i see is the fluorescent lights of of the office it's enough to make any man commit suicide i think so um miles you said something uh, i can't remember what it was i had an i had a thought or a statement or a something and then well, you were so, saying something so, earlier about bitcoin no that's not it so, it, it was something right in the it. moment there you said you're tomorrow and it, anyway if it was important oh, yeah, come back tomorrow at 11 a.m <laughs> um yeah that, it's gone that, it's, that it's left it. me um anyway daylight saving make it go away um yeah i did want to give a quick um review <clears throat> for the current audiobook i'm reading slash listening to I'm not quite finished with it, but I believe I'm at the point of the denouement. I think that the primary um, uh, climax has occurred, uh, and it's called We'll Save the Galaxy for Food by Yahtzee Croshaw. Pretty sure that's not his real name. Um, and it just showed up on my, you know, we recommend for you list from Audible. Uh, and it, it, I read the blurb. It seemed interesting. And then uh, within the first, you know, on Audible, Audible, if you're an Audible fan, uh, you know how it works. Uh, Within the first few seconds, I found out that the author was reading the book. And I thought, oh, I I was almost enough for me to to just return it without even listening. Because authors are notoriously bad at reading their own materials. Even when that author is like a a professional actor, you know, somebody who, who speaks and performs for a living, when they're reading their own material, they almost uniformly are terrible at it. Yahtzee Croshaw is pleasantly the exception to that. Uh, he he is, does not have the wide range of voices uh, that some people do, and, it, uh, and it's difficult for me sometimes to tell which character he's trying to be until he says, you know, Murphy said or, or Johnson said. Um, but the book, in, in a rare delight, has made me laugh out loud a number of times, and I just, I rarely do that. Um, uh, turns of phrase and, and excellent situation. So the, the basic premise of the book is, uh, it's in the very distant earth future. Uh, not only have we explored the stars and had warp like travel, uh, but it, uh, there was the grand time of, you know, the Han Solo's of the world being the swashbuckling heroes of the galaxy. Uh, but then a new technology called quant- quantum tunneling, quantum tunneling came through and put all the, the the star pilots out of work. And so this is a, a world now where everybody quantum tunnels everywhere they need to go, whether it's next door or to the solar system across the other end of the galaxy. 
and these once great heroes of old think um uh, you know the cowboys um are now relegated to giving tourists uh you know day trips around the galaxy and and trying to regale them of old war stories <laughs> uh, so i'm not going to tell you any more than that but um it's really a really enjoyable book and i you know i I read lots of books, listen to whatever pedantries, uh, pedants out there, whatever you're going to say. Uh, I consume <coughs> lots of books, uh, usually on the order of three or four a month, and I don't talk about all of them here. Uh, so th- this should tell you that how much it uh, appealed to me that I'm bringing it up here. So if you want to go to elementopi.com slash audible and get a free trial, uh, this is a book I could highly recommend to you. We'll save the galaxy for food. And if you're one of those people who likes to actually read text on paper or an e-reader, I'm sure it's out there in that form, too. But uh, We'll Save the Galaxy for Food by Yahtzee Croshaw. That's all I got to say about that. You know, I read my uh, free book this month, which I was kind of bummed because I did it so early. Um, and, it, they, of course, they're trying to push Audible. So, they, you know, you get a free 10 minutes of the Audible version. I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. Not cool enough because, you know, I'm cheap. But um, it, it was cool, uh, you know. So like, if I won the lottery or bought a used Hopefully. computer with ten thousand bitcoins on it or something like that, I would probably, uh, you know, drink the Audible Kool Aid and just go crazy. But it's it's like fourteen dollars a month for the base plan. What do you mean you don't have to win the lottery to afford fourteen dollars a month? Yeah, but I mean, I read a book in a day, <laughs> so if I'm gonna listen, one book a month is not gonna do it for me. So. Yeah, but see, when you're that's the whole point. When you're listening, you're forced to go at their speed. Of course, the average book, at least the average book that I listen to, is 10 to 14 hours. Uh, so if you have 14 hours straight, you could do one in a day. But I listen during drive time, and it lasts me. You know, I'm on, I'm in in the car two hours a day uh, on average. So yeah, I read about a book a week. Um, <clears throat> anyway, enough of my commercial. Uh, just thought uh, thought I'd mention that. Uh, not an author I'd ever heard of, not a series I'd ever heard of, but I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and, uh, go ahead, Seth. Is he, is he kind of like Douglas Adams? Uh, there is an element of that. It's, it's not quite as slapstick as Douglas Adams. Uh, he's obviously English. Um, the, uh, not only is the accent of the author English, but the mannerisms and the, the, you know, it's, it's kind of Monty Python-ish, uh, ish in, in some of those moments where it's, um, uh, understated, subtle um, ludicrousy, uh, which I, I enjoy that sort of thing. Uh, but also just a really clever, you know, a, a guy will will say something that he thinks means the exact opposite of the thing that he's actually saying. And then in the middle of the sentence, we'll have that realization moment. You know, those moments are funny because you, the reader, caught it first. And then the character catches up with it, too. And you're like, ah, yeah, I see what you did there. So <clears throat> it's a... Uh, I'm sorry, the voice is degrading <clears throat> as we go. Uh, so, anyway, I just I'm not I'm not going to give it any more than that. Check it out; it's 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 a fun book. Um, not not quite Douglas Adams level fun, uh, but definitely fun. And it's a it's a space, um, you know, a thriller, uh, campy, you know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's in the very far future, but he uses terms like like USB, for example. So it's it's very anachronistic in some moments, but it also helps to anchor the the story to something that can make sense to you. My favorite plot device, it's not not really plot device, is uh, that at some point in the future, and he describes this in the book, um, swearing was made illegal um, 
And so the star pilot type people uh, through a contrivance uh, started using multiple uh, 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 mathematical terms in the place of swear words. So instead of effing, they would, they would say multiplying or plying for short. Um, and, and and a disagreeable woman is a div or a divisor. Um, and so you're, you start and he, and he lets you get like two chapters in of heavy uses of these things. And you start to pick up pretty quickly. Oh, okay. I think this is a substitute for that. And then he gives you a little ex- of a side and explains it. And, and I just found that really funny, but I find myself saying things like that. You know, I, I I'm swearing in mathematical terms <laughs> as <laughs> in my own brain. Uh, but it, it was just a funny little device. Yeah, you know, you watch a show like, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica had a lot of those kind of words in it. And if you if you were into that show, they started coming out in your vocabulary. Right. So I, t- I totally get that. Like there's a line, you know, this track just got calculus. That That's an actual line from the book, which in context makes perfect sense. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything uh, unless you're in, in the context of the book. All right. Now, Seth, I, please, no spoilers, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say about Thor 3. Okay, Thor 3 is a really, really good movie. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. There were several points where I just laughed out loud in the theater, which I don't do a lot. Um, But um, I would have enjoyed, it would have been off the charts if I had only ever seen the first preview. If that's the only one they would have shown, it would have made, because a a lot of the good bits were not as impactful because you had seen them in the uh, second, third and fourth trailers that were released. Um, And like has a standalone movie. It's great. Has part of the Thor saga in the Marvel universe. It almost, it just kind of, it's a very today movie because it just pretends like yesterday didn't exist almost. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to give spoilers away, but if you just watch the movie for the movie's sake, it's great. And then you sit back and think about it in the context of the of Thor and Thor 2, which I just I dislike Thor 2. I just thought it was awful. Um, Thor 3 it just like glosses over so much stuff. But the movie was great. Um, the fight between Thor and Hulk, which, you know, it's not a spoiler. It's been in the trailers was the best action in the movie. Um, I think the movie needed more action and more fights because some of the fights felt like, you know, just, I don't know, just throwing up action on the screen. And they they weren't, you know, like if you go back and watch Avengers, whenever they're fighting for the city, even though you've seen it, you know, a dozen times, it still pulls at you emotionally into we're hanging on by our necks here and we've got to do something. Um, A lot of the fights and action sequences in this movie are just over the top outdone. They don't, they don't, it's like they don't really matter, you know? And so, you know, you know what's going to happen because the movie's not ending right now. So, in that sense, it was kind of a letdown, but overall, it's still a very, very good movie. Um, I I enjoyed it so much more than the second one. Uh, definitely not a low point in the Marvel mid to upper 
You know, if you like pointed the middle graph of the MCU, I would put it above that line. On the, I think it's Rotten Tomatoes. It ranks second behind the first Iron Man movie, uh, which you know that says something. It, there, I mean, there's no, there's no way it should be above Avengers or Civil War or the first Guardians. It, it's not that good, but it's, it's very good. I, I, I will say that I think the Hulk battles in the in the MCU, not the Ed Norton Hulk, but all of the um mark ruffalo hulk battles have been my favorite scenes of all the movies um you know the the battle between him and tony stark in the hulkbuster thing was the best part of that movie uh, yes. and the him uh you know going berserk and taking down the giant things from the sky was the best part of that movie uh, so yeah i'm glad to see that there's there's plenty of hulk there but you know uh, it's it sounds like there's not enough more hulk please well no, no, I mean, like I say, you know, I mean, it's called Thor. So, you know, right. it's not called the Incredible Hulk Ragnarok. It's called Thor Ragnarok. So, but the, the fight between him and between Thor and Hulk, it was, I mean, it was, it was, the action was there. It was tight. It looked good. You were like, yeah, oh, yeah. And, you know, so, you know, Thor gets thrown, then Thor smashes the Hulk around, then Hulk smashes Thor around. And it's, and, you know, outside interference. So the fight doesn't finish and there isn't a clear winner, which, oh, nice. For me, there had, I mean, you can't have it settled that. Hulk can beat Thor or Thor can beat Hulk. You know, there has to be that. I'm pretty sure that that one would win, but there's enough doubt that the other one could stand up equal. Yeah. I mean, because otherwise, you know, there's no fun if somebody is 100% the best. So I, it was done in a very good way. Like I say, that was the highlight of the movie. Um, it, that was just like eye candy for the fans of the cinematic universe. I recently saw a YouTube video. I can't remember the name of it, uh, and I'm sure if you Google, you can find it. But it was the the Batman versus Superman uh, extended release the 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 battle from that movie um, with voiceover as though it was like a boxing match. So there's two guys bantering back and forth, talking about the you know I'm not sure that tactic is going to work here. But one of my favorite things is like Superman using his super move of throwing people through stuff. There he goes. He throws him through a wall, throws him through a door, throws him through a, a ceiling, more throwing through stuff. Uh, <laughs> I had never really paid that much attention to it. But yeah, that's pretty much all Superman does is throws people through stuff. Um, and then at the end, uh, um, you know, spoiler alert, uh, uh, Batman has this um, a kryptonite tipped spear and he's like i don't know it seems hard to to uh to believe that uh after having been thrown through several buildings and ranged across half a city block batman actually planned to land right here with his spear within inches from him almost as if this is some sort of clever plot device um well you know batman is the uh triple h <laughs> of the the cerebral assassin of the dc universe so I highly recommend that video that I can't think of the name of. So go find it. Um, and Miles, you ask a question here. What is the lifespan of an Android tablet? In my experience, about four years until the battery dies. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Um, it's kind of a leading question because I... Uh, okay. Every year, 
I have to look, maybe not every year, at least every couple of years, we probably all go through a process of replacing a lot of our electronics, um, our phones, uh, tablets, computers probably, um, all that sort of thing. And it's because I guess there are uh, natural lifespan issues with this stuff. And then at the same time, there's also the external factors like, um, you know, you've got to upgrade it because the market, the manufacturer told you you had to. Or there was some security breach or some software won't run on it anymore or it's got the old chip and you have to have the new chip or whatever it is. Um, but I'm finding, I, I don't know if this is a, a repeating cycle now, but I'm almost having to budget every year to replace my electronics. And of course, you know, we, we're coming up to holiday season. And the reason why this thing sort of popped up on my radar was my wife said to me, well, what do you want to, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And normally, you know, that's, uh, it's nice to have a surprise and no one asks you that. But with us geeks, it's pretty hard to say, well, you know, surprise me because they have no idea what technology you want to get. I usually bring um, my wife uh, something and say, here, wrap this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of did, like, I, I snuck an Amazon link in, you know, to say, this might be nice, you know. But I started realizing it's not, i got to replace my tablet. I bought a, a Google Nexus 9. Um, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I think it was maybe like two or three years ago. And that thing's dog slow. I, I have no idea why it's dog slow. It just is. So i got to get a new tablet. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Now, the rest of the family, they're all going to want new phones. And now I probably my thank thankfully my laptop's been fantastic and I I have no need to replace that. But do you guys go through this kind of assumption, like a budgetary assumption every year of what it costs to recycle what you've already got? At my house, that's d d driven entirely by um, battery cycle. Uh, if if it will no longer take a charge enough to get through a day, it's time to replace it. Um, Generally speaking, you know, I understand you said your tablet's slow. Usually uh, a wipeout, a factory reset will fix that. Uh, in, in some cases, like the original iPad that I got way back when, the, the one and only thing the kids ever used that for was YouTube. And then at some version, knowing that, Apple uh, made the YouTube app no longer compatible with that version. So you, it, you couldn't use it. It would say you have to update it, and then when you go to update, it said it can't be updated on this device. So that was intentional on Apple's uh, part because they made a good piece of hardware that lasted years, and they wanted to sell more of them. Uh, so I just told the kids go to www.youtube.com and do it there because it still worked on the web page. Uh, but so for me, that's kind of the only thing. It's either broken or it won't hold a charge anymore. Uh, so yeah, I don't have a regular cycle like that even uh, even for my own you know personal devices it's just uh as long as it can do the job uh, that it was it's expected to do we hang on to it and typically it's it's somewhere between three to five years averaging about four what do yeah, you think I, seth i mean do you have the same sort of experience no i mean i'm i've still got my crappy android phone and my tablet is a Windows 8.1 tablet that I fought off the Windows 10 upgrade until Microsoft, you know, realized I was more stubborn than they were and quit trying. And so my Android tablets, they're obsolete and they just sit over there uh, in my pile of technology that I'm going to do something with someday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all I use a tablet for literally is I sit myself in front of the TV 
and I've got this thing alongside of me so that in case I need to check an email or, you know, I've got my Google voice thing so I can get my SMS messages on it. Um, so I can do it with minimal interruption to my lazy television watching time. That, that's <laughs> the whole reason I've got it. And it just seems like I'm going to be forced to spend another $500 to buy uh, another tablet to replace this thing just because it got slow. So I, I don't know. I've got to find a better solution to this. Is it a tablet that is like uh, Google or is it like, you know, Verizon branded or something like that? No, it's the original Google Nexus 9. It's Wi-Fi only. Um, I think it's got 32 gigs in it. It's It shouldn't conceptually be slow, but it, it just is. Um, hmm. I did some searching on the web and people have said, well, the the solid state storage in there may slow down over time. I have no yes. idea if that's true or not. It always does. But yeah, it, it does. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't know well, what the reason is, but solid state devices lose performance over time. I don't know if it's bad trimming or if it's just the, the physical wear and tear uh, of, of the device. I don't know, but it, it is a given that over time um, the performance of any solid state device will decay. And, you know, depending on the level and the quality of the, the solid state device originally is, is how much it will decay. But from what you're describing, it would have to be a really painful experience for me to invest $500 to check my email over breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about getting one of these cheap, you know, hundred dollar Chinese Android tablets that you get from some, weird site somewhere because that's all i use it for but i don't know uh it's there's another part of me that says well i can write software for these things and as long as it's running a, a pretty commonly found arm chip uh it might be something i can test some of the work that i do but for the most part yeah i just sit there reading emails and checking a twitter feed once in a while while i'm watching some stupid tv show first world problems <laughs> really <laughs> And, and Seth, you say you had a lot of fun last week. What did you do last week that was Well, so no, fun? just on, on the show, you know, oh, okay. being a jack wagon and just playing <laughs> an evil guy was just, I mean, I had a blast doing that. It was it was so much fun to just cut loose and stir up and try to just make everybody mad at me. So it, it was just, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So I just really enjoyed it, and um, hopefully everybody out there in enjoyed it or, you know, was riled up enough to send that guy some hate mail. Well, so far, the only response I've had to that particular episode was from an Englishman, um, and and I'll read his, his thing uh, in full in the future, uh, but, you know, uh, spoiler alert, um, Tony, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Um <laughs> Because he made the comment that the and I don't know what I don't want to go there. Never mind. <clears throat> but he he made a comment that shows how uh, inured he is to the system. You know, and and you know when people talk about you know like like people for example who have made the decision that they're always going to have a five hundred dollar car payment for their whole life. They just accept that and say, well, I'm always going to have a car payment. Might as well have a nice car. Right. Yeah. Well, if you, 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 that's not a thing that has to be. But once you accept that as a thing, it becomes the narrative of your life. And eventually it's the background radiation of your life and you don't even pay any attention to it. And it's a cycle you could easily break 
but you choose not to because you've just accepted, well, I'm always going to have a car payment. I haven't had a car payment in 10 years because um, I don't buy cars that I have to make payments on. There's a novel uh, approach. Or save up the money while you don't have a car payment so that when you get a when you need a car, it's already paid for. Yeah, that's a thing, too. There are ways yeah. to go about it. Um, yeah. My my dad's axiom that he taught us was you're either going to have a car payment or a repair bill. And, you know, whenever you live 60 to 70 miles from where you work, there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of times you can skate by a couple of months between the end of the car payment and the beginning of the um, repair bill. But um, otherwise, you know, I mean. You have to drive a real hoopty to have $500 a month in repairs. So that oh, repair yeah. bill almost never comes anywhere near a car payment but if if you do have to have repairs then you don't have that car available for work and so you either have to have a second car or you know or come up with some other way of work that adds to the actual cost of the repair yeah so you've you've been sucked into that mindset you have accepted the teaching of your father that you either have a car payment or a repair bill equal to a car payment i have never in my 45 years of life had three consistent months of car pay of repair bills that equal car payment. It's never happened. Not once. Yeah. Yeah. I solved that problem. I found a Caribbean motor mechanic. <laughs> He's a good friend. And I tell you what, this guy, he can stick his head under a car and with his ears, he'll tell you what the problem is. And when it comes to repairing it, he knows every salvage yard known to man, and he knows where to get the replacement part from some wreck. The, the part is perfect, and he knows how to fit it, and it's always inexpensive. Job done. That's how you do it. Yeah, those shade tree mechanics, you know, who just have a, a, a winch tied to a tree, those are the guys you want to know. In fact, my first business was called Shade Tree Computers because I wanted to emulate those guys. I wanted to be that kind of, of guy for computers yeah there is a market for that i mean we you know this whole got to go to the big corporate fortune 500 box big box store geek squatty thing to get something fixed that's for the birds i mean there's there's people out there that really know what they're talking about i'm sure our audience is full of them and they're the people who should be out there fixing seth you're great at this stuff <laughs> yeah i just i don't know i I have a hard time charging people what I'm worth to do that because, you know, you can go buy a new one for what it costs a few hours of your time. And so, and plus I'm lazy. If, if you get right down to it, that that's, that's what causes it is me being lazy more than anything. All right. Let's, so let's move on to a little bit of the news. Um, sometimes uh, when, you know, I, I talked about it earlier. I'm, I'm a, a Bank of America customer because I enjoy being uh, defecated on in, in new and creative ways. Uh, but sometimes when uh, when you have just turned screwing your customers into a high art, you've reached a level beyond which you cannot progress. And you need assistance to go beyond that, in which case you ask the federal government to help you screw people in new and creative ways. Right. And Comcast was the, I'm sure the first and by no means the last um, for this to be reported on, but they have asked the FCC to prohibit states from enforcing net neutrality legislation. Um, ISPs have pretty much bought out uh, the FCC and have convinced them that we know 
what's best for our networks and we know what's best for our customers. So why don't you trust us to do the right thing without any of that meddling federal oversight? And of course, the FCC, who used to be uh, a chairman of one of those companies, said, you know, guys, I remember how hard all this federal oversight stuff was on y'all. So let me just rip it out so y'all can do whatever you want to. And they're like, you know, why don't you go ahead and make sure the states can't do anything to protect? I mean, um, you know, prohibit competition. And so they went, that's a great idea, Comcast. I think I'm going to do that. So it's not official yet, but that's just what Comcast is asking for, is that the FCC um, secure Title II status for them now that it's beneficial to them and um, make it so that states cannot demand nor enforce net neutrality within their sovereign areas of work as well. So way to go, Comcast. Way to go, FCC. Way to go, Republicans. Um, You know, thanks for just caring so little about about your people. Congratulations. According to this article in Ars Technica, a representative of Comcast said that there's, quote, a disturbing trend of states and localities uh, trying to regulate many aspects of the broadband market, potentially creating a confusing and innovation-killing patchwork of local laws governing both economics of the Internet and consumer privacy. Meaning, when it comes to the Internet, you people don't know what you're doing. You can't write laws relating to your people. You, the people, can't get together and decide how things are going to happen in your country. What are you thinking? This is mass anarchy. You can't do this. <sighs> Innovation never happens from the top down, though, does it? I mean, it's always somebody in a garage designing and inventing something that ends up going upstream. So I don't know where they're coming from with that. This is a an inherent flaw in the the american uh maybe western maybe maybe just in general maybe i I shouldn't qualify that uh in the capitalist system uh that we have uh, a company like Con- comcast being a publicly traded company must see increased profits quarter over quarter that is the the requirement it must happen uh, if it doesn't happen stocks tumble money is lost um company is weakened and eventually they could go away so the only way you can see continue profits forever is to eventually resort to just outright thievery uh, or abuse. So a company like Comcast that's been around for a long time um, doing everything they can to increase quarter over quarter profits. Um, you know, they've gone, they've cut all the fat and all the muscle and now they're chipping away at bone and soon they'll be sucking out the marrow because that's the only way you can continue to ha- continue to have profits uh, quarter over quarter until eventually you have killed the animal entirely and the company goes away. This is a problem inherent in the system. I don't blame Comcast for playing the game that they're forced to play, uh, but at the same time, this cannot continue. Literally, it can't happen. It will eventually crumble down around itself. And while I do not disagree with your characterization of the state of the American system, I do disagree with the name of capitalistic system because capitalism has been subverted and perverted by greed so much that it bears no resemblance. I mean, it knows only a very tiny exaggeration to capitalism. Greed does not equal capitalism. And I just think it sucks that we have allowed Wall Street and C-level executives 
to say that it does, to call greed capitalism. I mean, let's face it. What do they want? They want high price shares. Why do they want it? So they can exercise their stock options. How do they do it? They take the profits of the company and rather distribute it to the owners who are the shareholders. They buy shares back, thus increasing the price, thus making their bonuses better. Who wants to own a business and receive no income for the entire time you own it, only make some when you sell it? That's stupid when you say it that way, but if I say, hey, buy some stock, hold it for 10 years and it'll double in value and then sell it, people think that's great. So like I say, I just this is something that I am just a little bit passionate about. It's greed, not capitalism, that is destroying the system uh, of commerce that has been in place in America for so long. Yeah, I, I would add to that that it's greed utilizing and, and manipulating government uh, to do its bidding for it, which is even worse because if we had no government hand in this whole thing, at least free market economics would take care of it. But in this case, you've got anything from them downright asking the government to step in and be their, their uh, you know, gunpoint level uh you know, army to enforce their law, which is just totally wrong. Um, in addition, they're probably also taking advantage of lobbying and manipulating laws that favor their position over somebody else's. It's pure crony capitalism in that case, and it's the worst of the worst. And our next story leads right into that. It's a, uh, This is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. You use the government power of tariff to artificially stifle competition in this case the international trade commission has proposed to president trump that he impose a 35 percent tariff on imported solar panels so let me break that down to you these guys make solar panels as good as we do cheaper than we do and they're hurting us so i want you to artificially increase their price by 35 percent so that we can uh, compete with them because they make the same product we do cheaper and that's bad and well, because so, they and this do it is off of slave labor and exactly. lower standards of living. So, but in a true free market society, none of those things matter, right? The thing that Miles was just saying, when 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 uh, a true free market is there, it doesn't matter how you make your money, it doesn't matter how you make your product. It matters that you can provide X product at X price. Um, and yeah, I agree. Um, Mexicans. Uh, make less overall for their work than Americans. So we import a lot of stuff from Mexico. Chinese make less than Mexicans overall. So we import a lot of stuff from China. But by definition, that is the free market. It is a market that is free. And at some point, they, that piper will be paid. But to artificially increase the price of something because you cannot decrease the price uh, of your own product uh, you know, is is just... It is anti-free market, plain and simple. So if we're going to say that the answer is free market, we can't shut down the free market. And if we're going to shut down the free market, we can't complain when Comcast tries to do the same thing. So to be intellectually honest among ourselves, we have to be anti-tariff uh, just as well as we're anti uh, as we're pro-net neutrality. So what is the unintended consequence of this, though? Is it's going to drive the market outside of the U.S. so that because. You know, okay, yeah, we do have the largest consumption marketplace in the world. But without us, there is still a huge consumption marketplace in every other country. And we're not the only country in the world that has sun. 
everybody has the sun and everybody has big power bills. So you would think that people in India, people in China, people in New Zealand, people in Australia, uh, Brazil, everywhere also want to buy solar panels. And they're not in a situation where they, they care. I mean, to them, everything's going to be imported, well, except for China. Everything would be imported. So if the US-made solar panels are going to cost 35% more by uh, edict, by government intervention, and hence the Chinese solar panels are 35% less, to a company in Brazil, what are they going to buy? They're not going to buy American solar panels. They're going to buy Chinese, and they'll buy five times as many. They'll get cheaper power, and next thing you know, they'll be mining all the Bitcoin. So it, it, it's it's not you know this is this is going to be a horrible endpoint. Well, what it's going to do is it's going to reduce the amount that they can produce because they're not going to be able to dump it in the uh, stupid Americans who buy crap from all over the world market anymore. So therefore their cost per unit will go up because they don't get the volume of scale. It will drag out the United States dependence on fossil fuels and reduce the growth rate of solar in America, thus giving the cartels uh, a chance to strengthen their hold on loss on the lobbyists and lawmakers, thus preventing the, the United States from going green has an economy and allowing the utilities to firm up their control so that, you know, you can actually, your house can be condemned in certain municipalities if you don't have municipality, um, utilities coming in such as water or electricity. So it makes it harder to go off grid. So all of that can happen because, and this is a story we covered before, because a foreign owner of a, an American plant suggested this because a foreign owner of a foreign plant was undercutting them by bringing in cheaper cells from outside the country. So a possible benefit is it allows the American manufacturers to see a little bit more profit that could potentially, and we know it won't, but it could potentially be invested in R&D to increase the uh, percentage of solar that's captured and utilized, thus making the world a better place. But what will just happen is, you know, they'll buy back some stock to raise the price. So, yeah. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, we see it in a lot of different industries uh, in farming right now. The the uh, intervention of government to stop immigrant workers coming into California farms is forcing California farmers to sell their farms and go down to Mexico, buy up great tracts of land and start farming there and ship the goods straight back into the U.S. Um, there's a natural money goes where it's treated best. And there's a natural uh, movement here that will move money in droves out of the U.S. and into either neighboring regions or other regions in which they can take advantage of this. There's a large segment of the American population that's very much okay with that because they think we have too much privilege and they want to get rid of that by getting rid of our money. So go uh, rest of the world, I guess. Yeah, so the basic purpose of a tariff is twofold. Well, one is to um, art to punish foreign powers. Um, that's the that is the his, the most common historical use of a tariff is to punish somebody you don't like, uh, and you just say we're not going to buy your stuff anymore until you straighten up your act, 
And so anything that uh, you do that we do buy, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make it cost double. Um, and it's a a very minimal revenue generating product because essentially that thirty five percent goes where to the government. So I, the user, now pay thirty five percent more for my product, and that money goes to the government. Or I can buy the American made product that costs thirty presumably thirty five percent more, or probably twenty five percent more, most likely. The purpose of this is to make the American product the least expensive of the of the two products. So uh, I now you have changed my behavior by uh, by taxation. Isn't that the modern method? That's what taxes are for in the twenty first century. It's not about funding governments. It's about changing behavior. You cut taxes here, you raise taxes there, and everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. It's the carrot and the stick model. Um, The other reason for a tariff, other than punishing somebody, is to eliminate an unfair advantage. And that's the argument that they're using here, uh, according to this Ars Technica uh, article. And I I just think we need to ban those words from the existence from, from now on. There is no such thing as an unfair advantage. An advantage is an advantage. And the only people who call it unfair are the ones who don't have the advantage. <clears throat> and so, you know, you, Seth, you made the point that the the, the seven-year-old Chinese slave girls uh, who, who have minimal labor, you know, a, a cup of gruel a, a month and you're good, um, th- this is classified as an unfair advantage when you have to pay American workers actual wages. Uh, but I don't agree with that. It's not. It's not an unfair advantage. It's an advantage um, in one area. It's a disadvantage in another. And eventually, if the free market, I believe, if the, it's never really been tested, to be honest. So it's it really is in the area of belief. Uh, but I believe that if the free market is allowed to do its job, that we will punish the wrong, and we will reward the right freely with our own money. Eventually, um, right now. You know, we rush to the bottom. Uh, everybody goes to Amazon and sorts by lowest price. That's a thing that we all do. Right. Um, I would like to challenge the listeners and myself, too, to stop doing that. Pretend that sort by lowest price filter doesn't exist and actually judge each purchase on its merits. Ooh, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but um, that would that's the kind of uh, uh, thing that a responsible purchaser will do. But the truth be told, there aren't many responsible purchasers. They're just people who rush to the bottom. And so these sort of unfair advantages work for a while until eventually, you know, the entire comp- uh, continent of, of China, it's not, a, it's not a continent, it's Asian continent. Anyway, the entire country of China can't uh, sustain what they've got. They can't continue to abuse and oppress their people. And then they rise up and then we get mad because phones cost more. But in the end, it's better for everybody. I, I, that was kind of a, a wandering diatribe. Did that make any sense at all? I yeah, it just it. basically said you hate Americans. I mean, that yeah. that's what I heard you say. <laughs> all right. Go well, ahead. look, at some point, we all have to realize that we're a land of immigrants. We all came from somewhere else at some point, except for the native uh, Americans. And maybe there is a world out there that we need to embrace and realize that we came from it at some point in the past and that maybe going around it and seeing things and trading with other nations and doing all that stuff ain't such a bad thing. And this whole, I look, you know, I've, I'm, I've always been very critical of any, I'm, I'm not a globalist in any sense of the word in terms of the big picture globalist stuff, 
but I do believe in the ability to do free trade anywhere. And I think to artificially restrict that never ends well in the same way that building big borders and, and keeping people in or keeping people out tends to just make people a little more savvy about how to get in and out. Uh, it doesn't actually work. And these tariffs, all they really do is end up making governments some additional taxable revenue and they hurt the, uh, the ongoing innovation that the country really you know, needs. I, look, if, if the Chinese are making better quality solar panels with uh, better output, or the Japanese, or the, the, the Filipinos, whoever, if they're making a better quality product, then how about we learn to make a better quality product to compete with them? Rather than just say, oh, we'll just, you know, tariff them because, you know, they're leaps forward in innovation. We're going to pretend that never happened and we're just going to go back five years and use our old tech. No, I, I think we should we should step up and we should try to leapfrog past that and take advantage of it and produce even better quality solar panels. Until Miles hates America, too. I'm in good company. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to make an argument, but you can't find one, right? You know, I mean, it's how, how many times have we had this argument? I mean, yeah. you know, the problem with, with the theory is Americans are stupid and we constantly violate our self-interest, whereas, you know, Chinese people have a discipline to buy Chinese stuff and to keep the money home. And America says, oh, wait, I can I can, you know, make your country stronger and my country weaker by taking wealth from my country and giving it to your country and get this cheap crap uh, that, you know. And so, yay, go America. We have cheap crap in full landfills and other countries are, you know, robbing us blind and we're giving away the store and then the next thing you know they're going to be it's going to be chinese privilege and it will it'll be the white poppers working for 15 cents a day so they can afford their two thousand dollar iphone 15 uh that'll cost seven hundred dollars if you break a screen or something like that that is a but it'll very be okay because then we will no longer have privilege and we can be vindicated in our poverty Woo-hoo. that is a very real projection of the future i i, I believe that you have just been prophetic right there that if the that a, if the american culture continues in the the path that it is going we will be the third world country in a few generations um because what we're doing is not sustainable what china's doing is not sustainable what india is doing is not sustainable um the entire map of the globe is going to have to change dramatically um for in order for the human race to survive i don't know what that'll take but we can't keep if you keep doing what you're doing you're going to keep getting what you got and i think we all agree that we don't like what we got so we need some type of natural disaster like a caldera going off or a huge asteroid hitting the planet or a, a nice good conventional war you know no little police action no nukes uh but just a good conventional war to uh, thin the population out enough so that we can then uh, continue our unsustainable growth because there's not as many people vying for resources Pinecone in our chat room says he's heard stories where the chinese people don't want the cheap chinese products either 
they, they go and buy Cause, cause other we'll companies' buy them. products. <laughs> they buy, right. they save up and buy good stuff, and their companies produce good stuff. American companies are too busy destroying. American executives are too busy destroying their companies for stock bonuses and quarterly returns to maintain a stable generational. Um, business model that other countries with a bit more discipline, at least from the outside, appear to have. Well, hey, uh, short memories here. Uh, Go back to the 70s when the Japanese were making digital watches and Mm -hmm. the quality was crap back then. And move forward to the 80s when they got uh, total quality management and all of that sort of stuff, which, by the way, they learned from Americans on how to make things better. And the next thing you know, we're buying all their Toyotas and their Hondas because we can't make a decent car anymore. So it, it's it, this is not a static thing. Chinese products today might not be, they may be substandard in terms of quality, but I guarantee five years from now, they'll be Japan in the 80s. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, you go back to the digital watches who developed a digital watch. The Swiss did. But they're like, no, this will cut into our high dollar mechanical watches with high margins. And so this Japanese company said, hey, let me try to sell that. And the next thing you know, the Swiss market just died because why pay $500 for a wristwatch when I can get a $2 watch that does the exact same thing? It would have to break 250 times before I'm even. And again, the American companies were like, oh, people will buy our cars because we're the only cars on the block. So we don't have to put in development. We don't have to put in quality. We just have to throw crap out there and Americans will buy it. And Japanese said, what happens if we did a good car? And then so when the Japanese automobiles came in and said, that car doesn't break down it gets better gas mileage and it's a smoother ride i'm gonna buy the rice burner oh and, and that cheaper. forced the companies to up their game um so go ahead mark i'm you were trying to jump in but i wouldn't let no you. i was just i was just commenting it's also cheaper all those things that you said it's more durable it's longer lasting oh and it costs half as much yep um and Ooh. last i checked the japan doesn't have a huge slave labor force so they're finding Not- a way to do it you know? No, but they have robots. <laughs> and, and yeah, they do. You know, if your job can be replaced by a robot, you should be replaced by a robot. Plain and simple. I like that. That's a good T-shirt. Uh, and then let's end on some good news. Uh, the Patent Troll uh, Personal Audio LLC is now officially dead. Yes, and so way to go, EFF. Um, Richard Stallman did something right. I'm so happy for you and all the work you've done. Um, the EFF was the good guys in this fight. You know, they are the ones who said, hey, we own the um, podcasting market because we created a patent that said, hey, someday people might be able to do this. We haven't done it yet, but we think it's possible. And people went, that's a brilliant patent until the EFF said um, it existed before and somebody went, Oh, crap, it did. Patent invalid. So they appealed, lost, appealed, lost. Their only hope is to go before the Supreme Court, and there's no way they would win. So the EFF has cleared out this level of patent trolls, and they've beat this boss finally. Um, Personal Audio LLC seems to be a thing of the past. So now Element OP is ready. See, we've been holding back because there was a chance they could win. We didn't want them coming after us. Now that they're gone, we're going to break out the big guns and rule the podcasting world. Woohoo. 
Great. I'd like to see those blueprints, Seth. I'm just waiting for you to email them to me. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there was never there was never a a reasonable position that anybody could have to a patent that was based on episodic content of audio. I mean, it just is insane to think that they would even come up with that sort of thing. But it was it was over the top stupid cheeky so many so much prior art out there before this uh, it had to happen what what is curious about this is that uh there were movements um particularly from the legislative branches to try to make it impossible to use the the um inter parte review process that the eff successfully used with the patent and trademark office to invalidate this they wanted to take that option off the table and somehow they managed to hold that thing uh, down, which was great. So this means the technique that the EFF used here to get rid of a bad patent could potentially be used on other bad patents out there as well, signaling to patent trolls, you know, you don't really want to go in there and be, a, you know, be idiots about this whole thing because you might just lose the whole the whole patent in the process. Yeah, so hopefully companies like Microsoft and Apple who, you know, oh, we don't we don't do that, but they're just they're they have wholly owned subsidiaries who do do that. Um and so hopefully <laughs> things like this can be used to dismantle some of the Linux stacks that's out there and the other extortion that the big company lawyers who are going to get paid anyway, so they might as well have a lawsuit going um are able to do. And if they're busy fighting this lawsuit, then maybe they won't have time to bring others. And so there is one last resort for personal audio. They could go to the Supreme Court. Uh, very like, uh, very unlikely that the Supreme Court would choose to hear that. And if they did, they would probably only choose to hear it so that they could rage against the guys uh, based on their previous uh, hearings uh, or, or judgments along the same sort of thing. So it, it's not fully dead. It's just mostly dead. We haven't quite double tapped it yet. Um, yeah, this thing has come back from the dead so many times, though. I wouldn't be surprised if it's we hear. It's not the last we hear of it. Uh, interestingly, the uh, this article I didn't I didn't know this. Uh, uh, CBS fought them uh, over this. It went to trial. A jury awarded personal audio one point three million dollars because juries like to uh, to award the little guys. Uh, damages from the big guys. Um, I wonder if there is a case now for that to be reversed, or if it would even be possible to get that money back. Yeah, something to think about. Hope so. Yeah, and as Pinecone in the in the chat room points out, Sco is still going after IBM for Unix, and that that's been going on for forty years now. The you know things things like that just don't die. Yeah, well, I mean, but my understanding is all they have left is the litigation team because doesn't that company like not exist anymore? And it's somebody who bought the company for the rights on the hope that they could get something out of the trial. That's a fairly good su summary. Yeah, it's at this point is a, it is a namesake that exists only for the purpose of bringing litigation. It's billable hours, baby. <laughs> And there are lawyers somewhere making their nut off of that. They're feeding their children off of petty squabbles like that. God bless America. <laughs> All right. I've yep. got about 10 minutes before my voice is completely gone. So, Seth, please tell us what happened this week in history. All right, Mark. Well, on November the 4th, 1982, 
compact portable PC was announced. So compact announces their compact portable PC, one of the early portable computer designs, and more significantly, the first successful IBM compatible PC clone. Compact eventually succeeded where other companies failed because they took considerable care in creating their product on two fronts. First, they created the first 100% IBM compatible BIOS, the only proprietary component of the IBM PC, spending $1 million to reverse engineer the IBM BIOS using clean room techniques. This also allowed them to avoid copyright infringement charges. Finally, they were legally and financially prepared for the inevitable lawsuit IBM would bring against them, which was dismissed as expected. By proving that a clean room reverse engineered BIOS could create 100% IBM compatible computers and withstand legal challenges from IBM, Compact paved the way for the flood of IBM compatible clones that would begin in the mid-1980s. This was the opening of the Pandora's box that led to IBM losing control of the platform and the emergence of Microsoft and Intel as the dominant technology companies of the PC era. Even though IBM lost control of the platform they created, the weight of the IBM name combined with the eventual low cost of the IBM compatible platform crushed nearly all other competing personal computing platforms of the era, so much so that IBM exists today literally doing nothing. Still, they've sold off all hardware and most software, and they just said, hey, we're IBM, you know, the name you know, and it works for them. <laughs> and, yeah. and a couple of things I want to address there. One, portable is a euphemism there. Um, it, it weighed 50 pounds, and it was the size of a – you couldn't put it in a carry-on bin on an airplane. It was too big. It was huge. But it was portable in that it didn't require a room full of circuitry to get it moving. Um, and the clean room process, that was an act of genius. Um, just a, a brief overview of that. So somebody went into, uh, bought a, an IBM PC, took it into a room, and broke it apart <clears throat> piece by piece. And he was done. He was now tainted. He's out of there. Another person walked in and looked at the pieces and said, uh, okay, these pieces go together in this way and drew those out. Now he's done. He's tainted. He's out. Another guy goes in and takes one of these chips and says, if I put three volts on this pin, I get 0.5 volts on this pin. And if I put one volt on this pin, I get, and, and then now he's done. And so uh, they break that all the way down until eventually they have uh, a piece of paper or ser a series of papers that say, um, uh, some component of some type that will reduce or increase voltage by this much over this place uh, is what we need. Then they hand that to an engineer who takes all those blueprints and goes, oh, I do this for a living. I make stuff out of uh, blueprints. And then they build the chip. And eventually they have a chip that the, the person who built it has never seen the inside of an IBM PC, but he's built an exact clone of that device. And the clean room process worked every step of the way. Everybody was sanitized. Uh, nobody saw the work that somebody else had done. They completely reverse engineered it without infringing on any uh, personal um, intellectual property. Brilliant. Took them years, but it worked. And people are still doing that today. Cyrix did it for the IBM chips later on uh, with the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Intel chips later on. Uh, that, that clean room process is still in use. Um, it's pretty amazing that, uh, that it worked and that it worked so well and that it was declared legal. I, I guess I, you know, I was, I lived through this whole time period and it felt when they did it that, so leading up to this, the, the period before 
we had come from uh, a time when software was just freely handed around to your friends. There was no concept of copyright. And then I think it was in 77 that Bill Gates went and wrote some very prophetic letter to the, uh, uh, the what was it, the... Um, that computer club down in the Silicon Valley, I can't think of the name of. Anyway, he wrote this letter and basically said, look, you know, software should be uh, something that you don't freely give away, that, you know, you respect it legally and that, you know, you guys wouldn't give away the hardware, you know, but you freely do it to software. So that's wrong and we need to change all of that sort of stuff. So anyway, that went on and then eventually software became copyrightable and software became something that nobody, you know, copies right and then the next thing you know uh everybody's gone completely the pendulum swung completely the opposite way and now any form of copying software is illegal immoral unethical the whole bit and then compact do this to the bios of the ibm pc which is exactly the opposite of what everybody else was doing and at the time it felt like it just felt wrong it's like, how come I can't copy WordStar, but at the same time, these guys can effectively copy this chip's content? And, and you know, we didn't want IBM to be dominant. Nobody wanted a single player to come in there and kill a market that was emerging. But at the same time, this was an extreme version of, of how to fight that. And I wonder, I don't know. I mean, we were talking before about Comcast, you know, being the big manipulator of capitalism because they were so big they could pretty much write the rules i guess ibm were that was that same company in in the early 80s clearly they're not today but i don't know what would you do if it would you go and reverse engineer all of comcast technology and uh to to try to fight them over their position what would well, happen in can't. today's world because Comcast is legally granted monopoly status by the government and protected. So you can't reverse engineer that. You know, you've just got to convince a council, a city, and here's the problem. They own the right of way. So it, you're up to, it's up to their mercy to allow you to come in and run fiber along the right of way that they own so that you can turn around and offer a product that's going to force them to lower their price. And so now there's laws right. that say they have to do it, but there's no law that says it has to be done in a timely manner. They can put whatever type of studies they want or feasibility things or mapping and, you know, something that would take an idiot like me with a trencher a month to do and not hit anything. It takes five years and millions of dollars in environmental impact studies before they even agree that it's possible. So yay, greedism. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, you're talking uh, really apples to oranges there. You, you know, to compete with Comcast is not about uh, intellectual property. It's about physical uh, conduit. <clears throat> so it's a it's a different thing. Um, and then, you know, it's uh, th those two things don't work. But like copying WordStar, that was a good example. So that's what a lot of people did. They said, well, if I pull up a copy of of wordstar when i hit control c it takes the contents of that and puts it into a buffer somewhere we now call that a clipboard uh and so reverse engineering was rampant and that sort of thing but some things can't be reverse engineered uh, a piece of fiber in the ground can't be reverse engineered can't be copied uh and there's only so much ground 
and somebody owns that ground and somebody has an easement to that ground. So that's really, you, you can't compare those two models. Um, but reverse engineering is happening all over the place. You know, if you, if you listen to Apple, uh, the entire Android ecosystem was reverse engineered from them. Um, I, I don't necessarily believe that's true, but there is definitely uh, liberal copying going around all over the place today. Nope, there is. And, you know, I mean, and the problem is who writes their own code now? You just go and Google the function you want and find, and pull it off of GitHub and, you know, you change the uh, remark statements and poof, new code. Mm. So. Oversimplification, I know, but so I think I mentioned last week I bought a new washer and dryer. Um, it was installed uh, earlier this week, and it's Wi-Fi enabled uh, because <laughs> that's a checkbox that you have to have. It turns out it's really minimal functionality. Uh, basically, if you can go to the machine and you can push the button that says "I'll remote start this later," and then when you're cozy in bed, you can push the start button and start the washing machine. So that would be useful like if three people were taking a shower in the next half hour and you wanted to start it later. But if you forget to push that button, the app can't do anything later. So if you're cozy in bed and you forgot to push that button, you still have to walk downstairs to push the button. That lets you not have to walk downstairs to push a button. Um, But the whole point of that is, A, Wi-Fi enabled washing machines are stupid. Uh, But B, when I downloaded the the, uh, LG think app whatever it was uh the name of the the app app think i think it was called with a q because why not with a q um like the bottom of the page was c open source licenses so essentially they had just lifted large chunks of code from somebody branded it and called it um you know a feature a checkbox everybody else's washing machine is wi-fi enabled so ours has to be as well um so it's a it's an example there of of what you just said, Seth. You go out there, you take something from somebody else, you call it yours, and it's not really functional, but it satisfies a mo- piece of uh, of a paragraph on a marketing brochure. And so wh- everybody wins, right? Yeah, you know, you should market that botnet ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have an IoT network in my house. that I, It's a separate VLAN just for iot devices that can't talk to anybody else but iot so my blender might be able to mess up my washing machine someday but it'll never get to my bank account right but it can add hashing power for ddos and you know malware um spreading and those websites that uh hijack or use your uh processing power to mine cryptocurrency while you're on them things like that so yeah if you you use my washing machine's processing power to mine bitcoin good luck to you no it's not bitcoin but it's i can't remember which one it is but you know and hey you're just contributing to the heat death of the universe so (laughs) it's the 21st century version of laundering money (laughs) nice oh that was awesome that was awesome but i gotta say this washing machine's smarter than i am there's no high medium low hot whatever you just throw your clothes in and it like scans it and says you need a medium level warm wash and hot rinse and it Hmm. just goes to work and it's kind of creepy but the clothes come out clean so you know trusts our google overlords i guess (laughs) i guess so (laughs) cone says the washer spin cycle will slow down when it's mining so my clothes won't be quite as dry (laughs) 
agitators just not agitating. <laughs> and of course, the first thing the dryer, the smart dryer said was, hey, your dryer vent's clogged. No, it's not. It's fine. The other machine was fine. Every other machine's been fine. I can go outside and I can see air blowing out. No, it's it's blocked. Ugh, really? So now now I have to call in. I don't know. Is a plumber? Who do you call for that? I don't even know. Um, you, you you buy a replacement sensor uh, off of lmop.com <laughs> slash Amazon and replace that puppy. Yeah, the first thing I did was Google how to disable that sensor, and, and it turns out, yeah, not a thing you can do. Yeah, well. So, but because of our house is, is weird, the, the dryer vent is longer than normally. It goes down through the basement and out across the room and then out to the back of the house because that that's literally the nearest access. So I can see why a smart device would say, I'm not getting the, you know, the, the return flow that I would expect to get or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, now basically it runs for three minutes and then shuts down and says, danger, Will Robinson. So oh, that thank would, you, smart technology. That would so basically, you have to go just past the uh, uh, the end of the vent and put a fan sucking yes. air out to increase your flow rate, or just put a little hair dryer that you turn on, um, and you know, kind of just shove it in the vent to force more air. That that might yeah, work my, too. My exact plan, Seth, was to put a uh, a fan in line with a thermocoupler. That as hot air goes out, it heats up, it kicks the fan on, and when the air cools down, it kicks back off. Just exactly what you just said. That's my. That's probably what I'm going to have to do. You just have. You're going to have to like clean that very regularly. Yeah. Because it will. It will. The you know lint, uh, flames, house burning. My done. My dumb dryer was fine, but my smart dryer, it has issues. Yep. Smart is not always better. Smart is not intelligent. It's just smart. Oh, nice. Or intelligent. Uh, yeah. However. <laughs> so now, Seth, wait, before you do that, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. You can be like Swift or Pinecone and show up in our chat room. Yay! Thanks, guys. Uh, that happens so rarely. Uh, when we record at roughly 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern Time um, uh, at live.elementop.com, or you can just go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest caption, fill out the form that gets priority in my in-basket, and I will ignore your stuff just so I've been ignoring everybody else's, but don't worry. I'm saving it up, and we're going to do an all-feedback show in the near future. I'm just saving up. I don't quite have enough to do it yet. Um, uh, or you can uh, send an email to geekrant at lmnopi.com, or you can call 559 am and leave a voicemail message. All those ways are ways that you can be heard. We want to know what you have to say about um, American exceptionalism and tariffs or whatever else. Uh, but now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity, thus making you seem like a better hiring option? Okay, well, this one's going to come in handy because I have a job interview on Monday. But in case you want to know how to succeed in business, this game will teach you how to corner the world market in paperclips. So, Mark, you will enjoy this one because of how much fun you got out of my Fill the Ocean games. This is a paperclip production and distribution uh you know, you, you, all you got to do is make a better paperclip and the world will beat a path to your door until we go paperless. So, um, but anyway, so it's, you just, you click a few times to get some paperclips coming in, then you get some auto clippers and then, you know, you buy some investments and, uh, buy some wire, keep buying and stuff. And you just, 
it's like I say, it's the same concept as the potato game from uh, many moons ago, the fill the ocean game from earlier this year, I think. And so now I have found a paperclip game to keep you entertained or not entertained, but for the, for your friend that you love slash hate who has just enough ADD, this is your revenge. So, um, you know, Merry Christmas to that, uh, to your frenemies, um, with ADD decisionproblem.com slash paperclips slash index two dot HTML. I can now purchase an auto clipper at $5. Oh, I purchased an auto clipper. Now what's going to happen? Oh, I'm currently up to 4,780,000 paper clips produced. Um, and I have 110 auto clippers and 25 mega clippers uh, currently running. And yeah, I generate I, over $600 a second. Woo! I shall not. Oh, you already not. started. You shall not. You pass. already started. I gotcha. Yeah. This is like the ball rock. It's not <laughs> happening. Um, I have a demand issue. Um, right now I have, well, I have zero unsold inventory, so maybe I need to raise my prices. Uh, that right. is correct. Um, because the more, the slower it will come. So you want your average revenue per second to go up. <laughs> and so you've got to raise your price enough so that you get inventory, but then eventually you'll have to lower it because you know, you, you don't want to have a bunch of inventory. What are you going to do with paper clips? You need to convert those to cash baby. So <laughs> okay. I'm I'm all over that. I'm done. I should save this uh, for the next financial February. This would have been a great one. <laughs> <laughs> but it does appear at very first glance to be built on at least reasonable business uh principles as opposed to fill the oceans, which was just click stuff a lot. You were trying to save the planet from the aliens who took your water. I mean, that was the survival of the species. This is just how to succeed in business and annoy people. Kill the oceans was much more important. Right. Okay. Um, I I'm done. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Uh, remember, pay for what you like. We'll see you next week.